we talk a lot about communication at Mighty Parenting. Our experts, myself, the communications, email series that we share with you. And one of the keys to communicating well with our teens is to not be stressed. Because when we're stressed, we knee jerk, we jump in, we say things that we don't mean to say. And as I'm talking to parents, you guys are telling me that you don't have time for stress relief. So I've created a complimentary lesson for you that requires no time. Yes, you will have to listen to the audio, so it's going to take you a few minutes to do that. But the strategies I share with you don't require you to spend any more time on them. So pop over to sandyfowler.com forward slash no time and learn how you can start relieving your stress and feeling better today. Welcome to Mighty Parenting, the podcast with real, raw, and relevant talk about raising teens and parenting young adults. Welcome to Mighty Parenting, a community where we help you raise teens and parent 20-somethings so they can become happy, successful, and emotionally healthy adults. I'm Sandy Fowler, stress relief coach, emotional wellness speaker, and host of the Mighty Parenting podcast. Quick reminder, pop over to mightyparenting.com to get your free email series on how to talk to your teen. We're finding that small changes can have a big impact, and that's all we're talking about in there are some small changes you can make. Our teens and 20-somethings are learning a lot through these years. Their brains are still developing. They're learning about relationships and emotional intimacy. And they're learning about sex, whether they're engaging in it or not. And one of the places they learn this is from their parents. So as with everything else, our kids are learning by watching us and listening all the time. Not just what we want them to hear when we have the talk. Jennifer Littner gets this. She empowers individuals to make healthy choices about sexuality and relationships by providing them with scientifically accurate sexual health information. And today she's joining us so we can learn how to be sex positive role models for our kids. Jennifer, welcome to Mighty Parenting. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, I'm excited about having this conversation. You know, this is something that in many, I guess I'm going to say most social circles isn't just chatted about casually. And it's something that a lot of parents probably have some discomfort around. It's something a lot of parents have interest around. And I I think it's a discussion that just kind of needs to happen. So I'm wondering when you say sex positive role models, what do you even mean by that? Yeah, that's a great question. So When it comes to being a sex positive role model, we're thinking about being able to recognize that sexuality is part of our lives. It's it's woven into the fabric of who we are as individuals. And it's not, it's more than what we're doing with our bodies. It's and being sex positive is about really having a positive and healthy view about that. So um, a lot of times we'll hear sex negative messages, which in contrast to that are things like, well, sex is bad. You shouldn't have sex. Um, Being sexual means that you're a chewed up piece of gum, right? Those are like really shameful messages and they're very negative and harmful to our health. So in contrast, sex positive means that we are embracing that sex is part of our lives. Um, it's, it's a 
healthy part of our lives and that we are going to appreciate it while still, of course, setting boundaries and helping teach young people about how to be sexual in ways that are, are safer, of course. So really, this is something that this concept of sex positive role modeling it mm-hmm. adapts to various belief systems and lifestyles and ideologies. It's it's not about that so much as this idea of this is a healthy part of a human being's life. Of course. Yes. So we one of the things that we often teach is being able to understand our values as caregivers and how we portray those values in a way that is also aligned with sex positive um, frameworks. So really being able, we teach young people now to to understand their values and live congruently with their values. And so it's not about teaching people how, um, how to behave and what their value system is. It's teaching them how to use the sex positive framework within their value system. And I think that's an important consideration, especially cross-culturally and whatnot. Right. So why, why is this idea of parents being sex positive role models so important? Of course. Well, our parents and caregivers are the people that we are going to learn the most from. So I work with parents and education capacity, but I also work um, with them clinically. And one of the things that we know is that the, the messages that we experience and internalize about sexuality and relationships a lot of times come from our upbringing and our childhood and the people that we are around the most or that model to us. And so when caregivers are um, in that space, they're, they're often the ones that we are learning from. So if you think back to how you learned about relationships or what you learned about relationships, um, whoever was in your home, whichever caregivers were around you, you probably learned something from them. And so it's important to be able to start with, with role modeling there because that is, um, that's a place of a lot of influence. And I don't think that um, enough people recognize the impact that that can have as it relates to sexuality and relationship well-being. We've only been talking for a few minutes. And mm-hmm. one thing I've noticed is you've used sex, sex positive, and relationships mm-hmm. several times. So what's the, you know, if we're thinking about this, if we're thinking about sexuality from a sex positive standpoint, mm-hmm. how do those ideas around our, our physicality mm-hmm. mesh with relationship ideas? Yeah. It's a great question. So relationships are a dimension of sexual health. How one of the things that I study comprehensive sexuality education um, in my research and part of what comprehensive sexuality education teaches is relationship skills, how to have a healthy relationship. What does it look like when somebody's respecting your boundaries? Um, what what would feel like an, an unsafe relationship? Um, things like that. And so the, re- the relational out piece is a component of um, our sexuality. How we relate to other people in a sexual way impacts our relationships because ultimately um, 
many people will have sexual relationships with people that are outside of themselves. So that's how those two things um, fit in. And then when when I use the word sex, I'm referring to not just the behaviors that people are engaging in. Sex also means like our part of our identity, right? Are we in our sex? Are we male? Are we female? Our sex assigned at birth. So it's a kind of an umbrella word, um, but sexuality is more all encompassing and it's the umbrella term for how we, not just how we identify, but what we do with our bodies and the production and um, all of the different components of, of sexual lives. So as we're talking to our kids mm-hmm. and we want them to have healthy relationships mm-hmm. and sexuality is a piece of this, mm-hmm. what is it that we want to teach them? You know, you mentioned that a healthy relationship has certain aspects to it. It respects mm-hmm. boundaries. People feel safe. Mm-hmm. What are some of the things that we want to be teaching our kids in order for them to have a sex positive mindset? Of course. So we wanna be teaching young people what it feels like to be in a healthy relationship, meaning, um, and you can start with this with friends, right? So, because peers are a huge influence, especially with teens. So how does it feel to be in relationship with someone who, where you feel heard, when you feel respected, when you feel appreciated. Those are all things that people can experience in friendships that are not necessarily exclusive um, to to both any kind of intimate relationship, I would say. So really helping kids understand that, you know, through their friendships, like, do they feel like they can, they can talk about what they want to talk about and their friends won't judge them? Do they feel like they can um, be themselves or do they feel like sometimes um, the person that they're spending time with is um, critical of them, is it uh, makes fun of them, is disrespectful towards them, right? So kind of some of these things are values and this is where, you know, understanding what your values are is a good place to start. Um, but being able to define healthy relationships as being in relation to another person where you feel like you can be yourself. A lot of times people will say like, you feel like you can just breathe easier. Um, and, and I think that kids under, can understand that, um, but really talking about these like micro components of what it looks like and what it doesn't look like. And it's interesting because we did a show a little while ago on sibling relationships Mm -hmm. and we were talking about how actually siblings are the first peer relationships. And so, as you said, you know, you can go back and start with friends. We can even go back and have this start with siblings. How are you treating them? How are they treating you? Are you being respectful? How do you work through conflict? Because Mm -hmm. that's normal. It's like, it's this practice space. So being able to take that from siblings to friends. And then I'm wondering how this scales when we're talking about romantic relationships now. Mm -hmm. So I think it's sort of each of these components are very relevant because ultimately at the core of a romantic relationship, um, is a, is a friendship and one that relies on um, strong admiration for the other person. So the romantic piece, all of the pieces around, um, do I feel like this person understands me? Do I feel like they can respect my boundaries? When I ask, when I tell them that, you know, I, I want to go home after going to the movies, right? Will we go home or do they pressure me to continue 
spending time and hanging out or whatever it is. Um, you know, those kinds of things are very relevant to romantic relationships because as we talk about bodies and um, any kind of romantic or physical intimacy, it's important that people feel like they can have their boundaries respected there. And there are many ways to develop that that don't actually rely on physical touch or, or sex. So I think it's, those are things that can be worked upon um, and kind of understood prior through, like I said, the time of time spent together activities, um, even things like, you know, if you're having, having a bite to eat and someone's like, you know, saying that they're done eating their food, you know, telling, encouraging them to continue fit, continue eating if they are, if they're done, right? Like respecting their boundaries around um, in every different way, I think is a, is a good place to, to start. So I'm thinking about this and we're talking about talking to our kids. Mm-hmm. And yet we know that one of the reasons kids learn the most, most of the lessons from their parents are because they live with them. Right. They see them, they hear them, us, (laughs) they see us, they 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 see what we're doing and, and they do tend to pick up on our messages and our modeling. And you use that word message earlier and, you know, Mm -hmm. we want to be sex positive role models. We want to send a positive message. Mm -hmm. And what I'm wondering about is like, what are the different things that can make up a message beyond Mm -hmm. just these some of these words we've talked about? So some examples that I commonly hear are related to media and things that will come up at home. So like, let's say um, your family's watching a movie and there's a kissing scene, right? Or some sort of physical intimacy. Sometimes caregivers will will try to cover the kid's eyes or say, okay, we're gonna pause it or or fast forward through a scene. I would encourage parents and caregivers to to really understand what that's about because by doing one of those things, it sends a message that kids shouldn't see physical intimacy. It could send a message that um, that kind of intimacy is wrong and that can create some shame for folks. So I think how you address, and I'm using kissing as an example, but how you address um, issues related and topics related to sexuality even if it's covertly is something that kids will absorb and pay attention to. Um, they may, again, this, this example may seem really small, but what, what may end up happening is if let's say, um, you know, this, a teenager is having their first kiss and they would like to be able to talk to someone about it, but they, they may not feel safe going to their parent to talk to them about it. If, this is something that feels like a topic that's off limits in the household. And so sometimes these things will, you know, cumulatively lead, send the message to a kid that they can't talk to their parents about this or that it's unsafe or it's wrong and, um, or, or that it's taboo. So I think this is where some of the messages begin. So that was really interesting to me in that it, as parents, we want our kids to come to us parents ask me, you know, why don't our kids come to us? And I talk about communication and that's what you've tied in here too, really is Mm -hmm. what are we communicating Mm -hmm. around these different things? And and that's going to go back again to the values that you talked about. Like, do you think that 
that any kind of physical intimacy is a very private thing. And that's just between those people. Mm-hmm. So correct me if I'm wrong, Jennifer, I want to take that as maybe an example and go, let's say my value is just that physical intimacy is between two people. Mm-hmm. And I don't want my kids to be ashamed. Mm-hmm. I don't want them to be afraid to talk to me about it or feel like it's off limits. And yet my values say that we wouldn't watch this. So would it be a sex positive position to, if that comes up on the TV, say, you know, I feel like those kinds of, you know, any kind of um, really intimate, emotional or physical moments should be between two people. So I would like to fast forward through this. Mm -hmm. I'm kind of feeling like that's not quite right, but I don't know what I'm doing wrong either. Well, I think it's all about like how you talk about it. So if you say, you know, I think the physical intimacy is between two people, I, I think you could ask kids, like, what is it like to hear me say that? What do you, you know, what do you think about this? Um, you know, when you've heard or seen physical intimacy, um, you know, what kinds of things come to mind? I also would ask, invite you to think about, you know, I guess it depends on the scene, right? Like if it's, is, is watching, um, again, if it's a, maybe it's, it's a a PG related movie, but there's a kissing scene is watching that going to violate your, um, being in crossroads with your values, or could they, could you watch it and say, you know, what do you think these people are feeling right now? Um, you know, cause they seem, you know, they maybe, maybe they really like each other. Um, and then insert, your value statement around, well, I really feel that strongly that this intimacy is taking place between the two of them. And this is something that occurs um, in the privacy of one's own home. You know, how do you feel about that? So I think you can turn it into a conversational point without avoiding it. All right. So we're talking about kissing here, which, you know, okay. That's one thing is mm-hmm. I think for most parents, it's a very different story when you start getting into actual sex scenes. Sure. And of course, depending on the age of your children, we're talking about teens and 20 something. So right. 13 to 25 is a huge age range. Yes. And in my girls are in the early twenties and mm-hmm. we've already traversed a lot of this and kind of come mm-hmm. to, you know, how we deal with things. And yet we'll go to grandma grandpa's house or <laughs> watching mm-hmm. something over there. And there's a, then a, again, a different dynamic happening. Mm-hmm. So when it comes to watching something, let's just say that, let's say your child's uncomfortable, like you're okay with this. Yeah. You're like, this is natural. This is part of the human experience. And maybe you want to have a conversation with them about the relationship side of it. You know, how Mm -hmm. did they treat each other? Mm -hmm. How did these two people, you know, what do you think about the way they treated each other? But what if our kids really uncomfortable with it or, or us, I guess, what if one person is and one person's not? I think it's important to just process that discomfort of what was coming up for you in that moment. You know, if, you want to close your eyes, right? What would help you feel, um, how to manage that discomfort better. And, and it's okay. Um, if, if the discomfort pops up, discomfort is an, an, just another emotion. I think of emotions as like crayons in a crayon box. Every single one of them is, is valid, even if we aren't, aren't in love with all of them. Um, so, you know, I think just being able to process that discomfort, you know, what was coming up for them there, it can be uncomfortable to, um, for, especially for teens to be like watching 
some kind of intimate scene with other caregivers, especially if that's a boundary in the like family so that they don't like, if that's not something they talk about, or it feels like it's their experience of it, they don't want their caregivers to see, you know, again, if it's a sex scene, for example, um, that, that can be uncomfortable. So I think just normalizing and acknowledging, you know, how that might feel in response to, you know, the other people that are in the room. Um, and also talking about, you know, what I like where you were going with it about the relational piece. Like, how do you think that this, how did it feel to watch that together? What did you, um, you know, what would been, what, what was going on there? And then talking about like, what did you think about how they were treating each other? I think that all of these can be learning moments and teaching moments, depending on how you want to um, swing it and what's going on. So what about when we are being very direct and we're, I don't want to say the talk because one of the mm -hmm. things we've talked about here at Mighty Parenting is no matter what it is, mm -hmm. there are many conversations. There are many moments like you've been talking about today, right? Mm -hmm. And yet there are times where we are very intentional in what we want to, what subject matter we want to broach with our kids. So when we're having the talk, a sex talk with our kids, are mm -hmm. there things that we you know, it's wise to do, to not do. The word that you said earlier that's still hanging with me is shame. And I think, yeah. I think we can all agree, at least in the mighty parenting community, that regardless of our thoughts, our values, our children's thoughts and values, we don't ever want our kids to feel ashamed mm -hmm. of a behavior that doesn't harm another person. Yeah. Agreed. So and what can we important. do when, when we're at that point and saying, hey, we, we really need to have a serious talk about this. What can we do? What shouldn't we do to mitigate any chance of creating shame and, and opening up that mm -hmm. space for them to come talk to us, even if maybe we were a little uncomfortable going into it? I think the first thing that comes to mind is really doing your own kind of check, your body, like a body scanning check. Um, and what I mean by that is as the, as the caregiver, the adult in, in this um, scenario, sometimes if you're, if you notice, if you're going to, if you're having a reaction to what's happening with your child and what that, where the reaction is in your body, a lot of times um, there's a term called squick that we often talk about um, in the context when I teach it to therapists about working with clients who may engage in different practices than, than they do. And squick is basically a, a word that describes a, um, it's almost like um, as quick as like a microaggression would be, but it's an experience where your body has a really quick flash of um, some sort of, of body language and eyebrow raise, et cetera. Um, and it kind of is like a feeling of disgust. And so really being attuned to what your body is feeling, checking in and understanding, are you as a caregiver having any kind of squick response? Because if you are, your child is going to pick up on that. Um, and so being able to kind of recognize your, your body language and try to, um, I think like relaxing the shoulders, taking deep breaths, trying to um, just really be mindful of how your your nonverbal and your verbal um, language is, is showing up um, 
in those moments, I think is an important first step. Um, and all of this will depend on the topic and how you know you as a caregiver and your value system and what you're talking about. But that's one thing that I think teens and kids are really susceptible to, to um, noticing. Interesting. And that led me to think about what, what if all these grand ideas that we had here today about having these conversations, what if that feels just beyond us? You know, maybe we were raised to really think that sex was bad, or Mm -hmm. maybe we had a difficult or traumatic sexual experience ourselves. Mm -hmm. And it's just, it's kind of embedded in us. Right. What do we do and how do we parent around that? So I think it's important to recognize the influence that sex has had on your life and your relationship to sexuality. And if that is, um, let's say it's a history of of you had really negative messages around sex growing up and um, experience some shame related to sex that you're still working through. This is a common one that I will hear, Um, but you don't want to pass that on to your, your teen or your child. I think really processing that with another adult that is not your child's responsibility to um, help you kind of go through the emotional support there. So making sure you can find another adult, whether it be um, a psychotherapist, another parent, um, you know, a friend, whoever to help um, you be able to process that and figure out, okay, what exactly um, is coming up for me in this moment when I go to talk to my kid. Um, Then being able to say, really looking, I think getting really resourcing yourself um, with ways to bring up these conversations. So let's say um, a common topic that comes up is around self-pleasure and masturbation. So um, a common topic that will come up and a lot of times people will be taught that masturbation or self-pleasuring was a bad thing or that they shouldn't do it. Um, There's sometimes there can be shaming attitudes related to that. So it's if you're carrying that shame um, or that's something that you don't want to pass on to your kid, recognizing that this is just because this was your story or your relationships, it doesn't mean that it has to be the same and just kind of talk like coaching yourself through that is one way. Um, And also talking about it in terms of, um, you know, people have different thoughts and attitudes about where, what kinds of sexual practices they engage in. And that's kind of up for um, what I might want to do is going to be different than what the other person, another person wants to do. So I think there's a way to kind of encompass the, um, the differences that we all have without saying that something is good or bad. And that's how I would approach it with, with teens is, is really talking about like the the differences and how different people experience it. Um, and then saying, you know, masturbation or self-pleasuring is a sexual behavior. It's part of, um, it's part of one's sexual life. It's, you know, and then kind of whatever the you know topic, whatever, to what extent you're going to go into it. And you mentioned this is a common one, and, and this is certainly something that people could carry a lot of shame around. So mm-hmm. regardless of beliefs, what's the science around that? Yeah. 
Well, we know that when it comes to self-pleasuring, this is a way that people learn about their bodies and um, self-pleasuring is a way to that has ha we know that research supports um, self-pleasuring in terms of that awareness and um, greater success with um, experiencing orgasm and pleasure during sex. So um, from a science perspective, you know, a lot of times there are um, there, there are, there's a great usefulness to having that body awareness and um, it, it can be really helpful as people um, enter relationships um, and are sexual with others because they'll have a sense of what, um, what, knowing their body and what their body needs to experience pleasure with, with their partner. Um, that being said, um, it's, you know, there's a lot of sociocultural components here that I think are important to talk about, right? Like um, values around privacy that, you know, talking about how self-pleasure is something that happens within somebody's, somebody's room or somebody's home and it's private, you know, understanding um, kind of where your values are and how to talk about that. I think is an, is another piece, but from a science perspective, it's, it's useful. It's also, um, it's also one of the, it, it's not a, um, a risky type of sexual behavior in the sense that um, there's, or there's minimal risk, I should say, because you're not, if you're not being sexual with another person, you're not having um, any kind of risk of um, transmitting STIs or HIV or unintended pregnancies. So from that standpoint, it's also from a sexual health perspective, it's there's a little bit less, um, it's a safer type of sexual behavior. So those are the two pieces around this, what the science will say. Okay. And you mentioned resourcing yourself up. We, you, know, like, yeah. you need to talk to your kids, resourcing yeah. yourself up. Would you explain that please? <laughs> yes, of course. Um, I, I know that sometimes I use words that are words that I use and not, not ubiquitous. So, um, resourcing yourself means like really getting in touch with resources that will, that you can learn from. So for example, I have, I I'm really big on recommending books and podcasts like this one, um, you know, to, to caregivers, because the more, first of all, diverse opinions are good, you know, getting, um, learning from lots of different experts is helpful. Um, and also, understanding that you're reading information that is science uh, based um, or, or scientifically accurate is important. So, um, I mean, there's a number of resources that I can recommend, but I think books and podcasts and um, online literature can be really, really helpful places to start, um, especially if you're wanting to learn more about this topic. Okay. And Jennifer, if you can maybe share with me, I'll put in the show notes, mm -hmm. some information and some links where parents can get more information for themselves mm -hmm. to be able to, to dive into this a little more and, and find their own comfort zone and figure mm -hmm. out how that all works with their values and the conversation they actually want to have with their kids. Um, where can we find you online, Jennifer? Of course. So um, you can find me at embracesexualwellness.com. Uh, we do have a resource page there at Sorted by Topic, and there are book lists as well as videos that uh, may be helpful to guide this presentation. Um, and um, we, we also, I can also recommend some other resources. I think Advocates for Youth and Amaze.org are great places to go for caregivers. Um, they really talk a lot about 
how to engage in these conversations. And there's lots of um, videos that they maze.org creates that are great for um, kids and teens of different ages. So those can be good places to go to. Well, thank you so much, Jennifer, for joining us and helping us to talk about something that can be a little sticky for a lot of families and a lot of individuals even. I appreciate your your generosity in having this discussion. Of course, I'm happy to be there. And Mighty Parents, thank you for being here. If you are here, if you are listening, remember you are a Mighty Parent. You got this, and I will see you next week. Thank you.